Welcome to Latinos Who Thrive, the podcast celebrating the remarkable stories of resilience, success, and empowerment within the Latino community. I'm your host, Victor Escalante, and I'm thrilled to bring you another inspiring episode that showcases the journeys of extraordinary individuals who have risen above challenges to achieve greatness. In today's episode, we have a truly exceptional guest joining us, Danielle De La Fuente. She's a trailblazer, an advocate, and a source of inspiration for countless people literally around the world. From working at the U.S. Department of Defense and several embassies to achieving remarkable milestones, Danielle's story embodies the spirit of triumph that we aim to share in this podcast. Danielle was born to be a self-sacrificing philanthropist. You will be inspired as I was to join her in her endeavors. Throughout this episode, we'll delve deep into Danielle's life journey. What were the forces that shaped her, that molded her? We'll uncover the pivotal moments that shaped her trajectory in life, the hurdles she encountered along the way, and the strategies she employed to not only overcome them, but to thrive against all odds. As an accomplished professional and a beacon of hope, within the refugee community. Danielle will offer invaluable insights, wisdom, and advice that will resonate with listeners from all walks of life and especially parents. Join us as we uncover the untold stories of success, passion, and determination within the Latino community. Whether you're seeking motivation, guidance, or simply a heartwarming tale of triumph, Latinos Who Thrive is here to inspire you. So without further ado, let's dive into the remarkable journey of Danielle De La Fuente. And now we have Danielle De La Fuente. Danielle, welcome to Latinos Who Thrive. Thank you so much for having me, Victor. It's an honor to be here today. We're very excited to have you. Tell us uh, about your foundation and what you do. Well, so I started a mall alliance a little bit before the pandemic. It's an organization that aims to provide education and social development programs for migrant children and children that are disenfranchised in a vulnerable population. So we started off providing all sorts of programs um, to children pre-pandemic, but then all of a sudden all kids were out of school and we had a very unique expertise. So we wanted to ensure that every child had the best way, uh, best start in life. So we were really fortunate to have won the UN COVID-19 challenge. And uh, that brought to life our flagship program, Colors of Kindness, which I'll tell you a little bit more about later on. Um, and so to date, we've reached about 276,000 kids in the past three years, everywhere from Bangladesh to Greece to Uganda. And hopefully we'll be bringing programmings to the States and to Mexico, my home country, um, in the future. Danielle, what was it about this vision that you had for being able to help kids around the world? Uh, what is at the root of that? So, I mean, oftentimes with conflict, with wars, with climate change, so many families are on the move. And as you're on the move, especially in the migrant trail that we've seen from South America leading into the States, it is not an easy path. And so, you know, children and their families experience all sorts of things, leaving them with trauma and with unprocessed feelings. So when they arrive, you know, there's, there's so much more to learn. They're in, a, they're in a new location. 
They might not speak the language. Um, there's xenophobia oftentimes. And so all of this plays into the child's development. And so my background is actually in conflict resolution and peace building. I, I worked for many years for the U.S. government and fostering relationships between countries and just teaching the fundamentals of peace. And so if this goes unaddressed, eventually that cycle of violence, that cycle um, perpetuates. And so when, um, when you have children that are arriving at a new location, you need to give them those skills, those coping mechanisms, those tips and tricks so that they can really thrive in life. And, and, and that usually doesn't happen because it's an afterthought, right? We think about the, the basic necessities, which are super important. I'm not going to discount them. But no one's really thinking about, well, should we help them heal from everything that they've endured? Um, you know, a family that maybe has been um, got separated when they unify, there's so much more than just that reunification process. And so that was the reason we came into existence to help children heal, to learn and to grow. Um, and that's why we focus on the social and emotional aspects, uh, because really you need to learn how to identify your feelings in order to process them. But also then you need to understand how to manage those feelings and how to communicate better with others and how to show empathy and, and all of these different skills that are often not found in a classroom setting. So that was the, the initial driver. So tell us the through line of how you go from working uh, in government to starting a foundation helping children worldwide. What is that through line? So I've always been very passionate about kids. Um, so anyone who knows me knows I'm very playful. Um, and so I was working for the Department of Defense. And at the time, I really didn't understand why we were cultivating all these meetings, because we would have all these meetings, whether it was on water security or energy security. Um, but we were essentially building relationships. So I was like, wow, a lot of money goes into these, these meetings, but what's the point? And, and the essence was we were bringing together high-ranking individuals from different countries um, that probably had different religious backgrounds, had different viewpoints, but we were bringing them to build a consensus, to understand that we're all more similar than we are different. And so if you can build these bonds, let's say something horrible happens and there's an act of aggression. Well, you can resolve it before it escalates. And so, but one of the things that frustrated me was that we were solving problems after the fact. And I thought, well, why aren't we trying to prevent the problem versus spending all this money after the fact, trying to resolve it when it's so much more difficult? Like, why aren't we teaching children these things, these the same conversations that we're having with grownups, but at an early stage in their life, so that they can develop into more understanding human beings. And so um, fast forward, I went back to school, I did a, a, my master's and uh, my grandmother had passed away, which was very difficult for me, we were very close. And so I had come into a small inheritance and I wanted to do something with it that would be meaningful, that would kind of, you know, have her legacy live on. And it was right at the peak of the, the Syrian refugee crisis where a lot of the children were you know, fleeing to Greece and to parts of Europe. And, and so I, I happened to be in, in, in Greece at the time. And so I popped over to some of the refugee camps to see what was going on. And I was horrified. I was, I was truly horrified with what I came to see. Um, the living conditions were you know, uh, horrific. Um, and so I thought, well, here I have a little bit of money. I have know-how of, you know, how we did this with countries. Why don't we apply some of these principles with kids? 
And, and so that's how it started. I thought it was going to be my passion project that we were going to have maybe, you know, a couple hundred kids running through the classes. And if I could help at least one or two, that would be my, uh, my imprint. But, um, but we did design a program that was very successful and, and, and resonated. And so it's really grown tremendously now. You were working, if I remember correctly, uh, from the time that you're mentioning with Syrian refugees, weren't you? Yes. So um, I started the organization in 2017. And around 2018 was when we delivered our first program. So uh, I believe we just, uh, we're not that old. We just turned around five. <laughs> okay. And and you were doing it under the auspices of the government or were, were you already uh, independent working on your own? No, I was already independent. So I had left the government. Um, I had gone back to school. And um, and so this, I was, uh, I was just seeking to do a good cause. Um, and yeah, and that was uh, how it started. But I did not, I underestimated the potential of growth when you, when you do something, when you lead something with, um, with purpose and drive. And so I thought this was going to be, you know, just a, a nice thing. Um, and then the pandemic happened and I was positioned in a very unique way because I had an expertise with children that were out of school. And, um, and so then that sort of led to uh, a response. So when the pandemic hit, I, I didn't want um, to abandon our kids. And so we had about 1,100 kids in class. And I thought, well, if we can't reach them, at the very least, we can send them a podcast via WhatsApp because you know most of the families did not have um, internet, but they all had a phone and said, um, and just activities so that they can you know cope with the, the effects of the pandemic. And within about a month, so April, 2020, we had about 160,000 listeners wow. um, and, and this is offline listeners okay. <laughs> you know, on, on, on WhatsApp. And so um, it was really interesting because I, I get a call a couple uh, maybe a month later from um, UNHCR. That's the UN agency for refugees. For those that are not familiar with it, they're like, Hey, we loved your podcast. You know, uh, I'm like, you heard my podcast. Really? <laughs> You know, I'm the I'm the English voice. The the version in Spanish includes my mom singing, um, and so it was very very mom and pop made. Um, and they said, "Yeah, we loved it." You know, could you do this with your curriculum? And you know, at, at the moment, everyone was trying to adapt and figure out things they can do. I'm like, "Why not?" You know, at the <laughs> let's give it a try. And so it led to competing for that UN challenge, and uh, we were very fortunate to have won. And Anyways, it took a very different path than what I initially thought. <laughs> On the execution front, what surprised you the most uh, as far as the the launch of, of this initiative? So, I mean, I really think that innovation is at the core of all things that, you know, people strive for. Um, but oftentimes, you know, there's a great idea and then it doesn't really execute well. Right. <laughs> and, and so, um, and in our case, we thought, okay, we'll use a podcast. It, it was more popular than I could have ever imagined. Um, but now we had to build it into sort of an education model. And you, you can't just play a, you know, a podcast and have kids learn. So now we had to think through the whole experience. And we were actually really fortunate to work with IDEO.org. They're in Silicon Valley. And so that was part of the, the prize that we won. And so they, they walked us through a whole design process, right? So, okay, let's say you're the teacher or you're the, the student. What's your user journey? And 
So at the time we're thinking, okay, well, this is great. We have the audio element. We also need to bring in the visual element. And so um, we, we have these very cute blobs, which are part of our digital workbook. And so those came to life. And so now we had a visual element. And, and okay, how does it look like? You know, if there's a tablet in the classroom or if there isn't a tablet, what's the internet situation? What, so we had to walk through all of these things. Um, so when we first piloted, it was in Bangladesh. Um, so we were, we were working with Rohingya refugees, mm-hmm. but also with children in the Bangladeshi Char Islands. I don't think I, um, I, I don't think I was prepared to see how well it was going to work. So, cause we, we studied it, we put together monitoring and evaluation tools, and we saw about a 16.5 increase in the well-being of the kids in about 10 weeks time, which is pretty daunting. And so I think really that preparation portion that we spent a lot of time looking and understanding through the logistics of you know, all the different scenarios really, really played out in the execution. We, we trained the teachers, we trained women from the communities that, you know, had never taught in their life, but all of a sudden we're going to facilitate classes. Let me ask you this. This is a, a monumental Herculean task <laughs> from what you're describing. Are you currently in need of other of other collaborators, of other vendors, of other technologies uh, in order to move your initiative forward uh, and in order to scale it? Yes, yes, and yes. Um, So when it started, you know, after Bangladesh, we were very fortunate to get a donor approach us and say, hey, you know, we'd love to see this not just in, you know, refugee camps or shelters and such, we'd love to see this in schools. And to do so, you need to go through an evidence-based test to make sure that, you know, your idea is good, but it actually works, right? Right. And so um, that was contingent with the fact that we would do it in Greece, which is why um, sort of I I, I haven't left. And so when we did the second round, uh, we partnered with Harvard University and the ESA lab. And so they did an analysis and I was so worried, you know, what if it doesn't work this time and we're going to have a horrible report, <laughs> but it did, it did, it did work. And it showed statistically significant change in, in the competencies of the children. And so at that point, the Greek government had asked us to expand the program to every school in the country. Wow. So, um, so we, to answer your question, I mean, at that point we realized like, wait a second, we have a model that really is helping kids. And that can be adapted to different locations. And, you know, I would love to see this, for instance, in Mexico. Um, I I think, uh, you know, there's a huge need. Uh, You know, my family's from there. Um, And so as we continue to grow and scale, I think there's so many countries that could benefit from such a model because we're really shifting towards a whole child development approach. And to do that, you need partners. You need partners on the ground. You need funding. You need tech. Um, and so to enter a new market, um, yeah, we're open. We're open for collaboration. I am going to volunteer because uh, I really think that this is a noble endeavor and that more children need to be helped. So uh, I am a subject matter expert in this area. Uh, among other things, I'm very familiar with uh, child development theories of uh, Piaget. And also, uh, and the reason for that is because I'm a, a subject matter expert in neurolinguistic programming. 
Amazing. in cognitive behavioral therapy, as well as positive intelligence that I just added to my suite of, of expertise. And so I'm also bilingual. Uh, hablo el, el español fluidamente porque he dado clases en la Universidad de Guadalajara y el Tecnológico de Monterrey para poder ayudar a nuestra gente, a los futuros líderes, porque una mente es como el dicho de que desperdiciar una mente es, es, un, gran, es un gran error. Uh, y, y también... I'm going to, to bring in the, a technology company. I'm going to pitch uh, them uh, partnering up with you because they have a, a they developed a new platform that puts uh, uh, Zoom uh, in, as child's play because of all the bells and whistles that they have that they have created. And they have partnered up with a foundation uh, that was started by uh, Manny Pacquiao from uh, the Philippines. So I really applaud your, your efforts in, uh, in helping uh, children. What ha has been the results? Tell us about some of the actual results that you are getting, not only from academia as far as in putting together the, um, the model, but also uh, firsthand from some of the families and some of the children. So first of all, thank you, Victor. I very much appreciate that. So um, I'm excited to continue this journey with you. Um, we've had a really great result. So obviously, our, the children are our end user, our, our beneficiary. But un, unsurprisingly, or actually surprisingly, we realized that the teachers were very much benefiting from the program. So this was kind of a happy accident. We started hearing from teachers first saying, hey, you know, Here we're doing all these activities and games and, 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 and we use, by the way, we use uh, kids yoga, we use mindfulness, we use dance, art therapy, like all, all sorts of fun stuff. Um, and they said, but our, our attitude is better and our mood is better. Sure, and, sure. and, you know, we've improved the dynamics with our principals and we're like, oh, okay, well, that, that's nice. <laughs> and then we were getting calls from principals saying, hey, you know, we've had parents coming to classrooms asking, you know, what their children are learning because they, they bring home a challenge. Um, it's a way of engaging the family with, uh, you know, very subtly. <laughs> and so, um, sure. and then, hey, you know, we've noticed that our kids at home aren't arguing as much, or maybe they're not fighting with their brother, or they're very attentive and helping mom at the supermarket, you know, carry groceries. And so we're curious, what is this, you know, colors of kindness thing that they're learning? And, um, and so we've had all sorts of different responses. Um, but I think it's been universal where we've seen, because we also, by the way, piloted in Uganda. So um, we did a, a program there and, and saw very similar results. So what we've seen consistently is that children were starting to really become more empathetic, um, really kind of feel more confident in their own skin and uh, find self-worth. And we were seeing this not only from just, you know, observation, but because parents were coming to classrooms and telling sure. this or... Or, or in, in Bangladesh, sometimes it would send like a grandma or a grandpa to, <laughs> to, to figure out what was happening. And so, um, and also through teacher observations, teacher reporting. Um, and so we also did focus groups with community members. So we work with NGOs on the ground and, and, and just seeing like, hey, okay, you guys are implementing our project. Well, what are you guys seeing? You know, what are the differences from your other programs? And so I think there's been a very consistent um, sort of parallel about the changes in the competencies. Oftentimes, a lot of people assume that we're measuring sort of the well-being factor, and, and, and it's not. While we do help 
the mental health, it's very hard to measure. So what we're looking at is, are we seeing a more positive behavior? Are we seeing um, a more eagerness to participate? You know, um, when we have the challenges, they come back the next week. Are they willing to present? Are they being more respectful about uh, with their, you know, colleague? I mean, with their peer. And so all of this has been very, very consistent. Um, Oh, and one thing I forgot to tell you. So we have this thing called an emotions thermometer. Um, it, it, it's literally as it sounds, it's a thermometer made up of emojis. Sure. <laughs> and so, um, and so the idea is that children can start taking their emotional temperature and understanding where they're at, at the spectrum. And so we use the basic, basic emojis, nothing too elaborate, just so that they can really start identifying their emotions to begin with. And, um, and so all of the emotions, thermometers, usually the, the child draws or circles the happy one. They're usually drawn to that at the beginning. But over the course of multiple weeks, what we saw was were that children were starting to make their own emojis of where they were feeling, or maybe they were feeling happy and meh, or maybe, you know, they were angry and meh. And so, you know, on the surface, it's like, well, wait a second, you had this class of all happy kids and now they're going towards meh. (laughs) But, um, but what they were learning was that it was okay to have other types of feelings and, and reactions. And it's just how you manage that emotion is really where it comes to play. And so um, we were able to really understand the mood set as well. Like were children, was their mood shifting? Were they, you know, were they sharing all of these things that um, are so important? You're listening to Latinos Who Thrive with special guest, Danielle De La Fuente. We'll be right back. Are you looking to take your career to the next level? Do you want to stand out from the crowd and make a lasting impression? Then look no further. Introducing the ultimate game changer, the Escalante Public Speaking Mastery Course. In today's competitive world, effective communication is the key to success. Whether you're a seasoned professional or just starting out, the ability to speak confidently and persuasively is a game changer. I know, because I have lived through it. That's why the Public Speaking Mastery course is here to unlock your full potential. The comprehensive course is designed to transform your public speaking skills from good to extraordinary. I will be guiding you through a step-by-step process, helping you overcome stage fright, craft compelling messages, and deliver impactful presentations. When I took the Dale Carnegie School of Public Speaking and Human Relations, it changed my life and I will be able to help you do the same. My career in journalism and training and development was built on having the skills to be able to communicate to a team or thousands. I hold nothing back. I will give you all my trade secrets and how you can thrive and crush it. Imagine walking into a boardroom and captivating your audience with your powerful presence. Picture yourself confidently leading meetings, delivering persuasive pitches, and commanding attention in every interaction. With a public speaking mastery course, you'll be equipped with the skills to excel in any professional situation. If you're ready to take the step and supercharge your career, enroll in the Public Speaking Mastery course today. All the information and the cost is in the show notes. Don't let fear hold you back. Unlock your potential, elevate your career, and become a master of public speaking. 
Go to the show notes to register today to secure your spot in the next session of Public Speaking Mastery Course. Public Speaking Mastery Course, empowering professionals, transforming careers. Act now and make a lasting impression in every opportunity that comes your way. You will be glad you did and you will thrive for the rest of your life. We now return you to Latinos Who Thrive with special guest, Danielle De La Fuente. And the reason that it this is so fundamental and this is so uh, critical for developing emotional intelligence is, as adults, we're capable of experiencing over 800 emotions. Imagine children that are confused by what they're feeling and they cannot categorize what they're feeling because language can be very messy in that it is not precise. Uh, and so uh, what they're feeling uh, gets categorized and labeled by putting a, a word description or an emoji. But at the very least, you're giving them a pathway. You're giving them a, a road model that they can navigate because uh, who of us as an adult were taught these things as children that it was okay to feel all these conflicting emotions and then to begin the splitting process of multiple intelligence in the brain and all the different emotions that are in conflict with one another so that you end up partitioning different parts of your brain to work uh, as a whole rather than just being pigeonholed into one category of your mind and developing blind spots. So this is really, really uh, innovative what you're doing here. So this is all your brainchild or, or is there a whole team uh, behind this, so, so this on, is the, <laughs> on the engineering side? I, I know that you now have a team on the execution side, but on the engineering side? So we outsourced to experts. Um, uh, so th this was initially my brainchild and um, we created it with a, it's three people and as part of the, the challenge. But we, we really got a lot of expertise from amazing people. So like the UN offered us, you know, experts on scaling, experts on marketing, experts on this. And then with the technology, um, I'm the least techie person out there, by the way. So, so nobody wants me designing anything in technology. But um, we work with a really fantastic organization that's based out of San Diego. They're called Learning Equality. Um, and they have a platform called Calibri. And it works offline, which is fantastic because um, many of the locations that we're at don't have connectivity and then that becomes a whole other issue. And so, um, but we're also open to all sorts of different um, platforms. So the, the nice thing is because we created the, the program as an audio file and a video file, it can essentially plug into pretty much anything. So um, for us, it lives on an H5P workbook. It's a digital workbook, um, but it can plug into whatever system you're using. And so the idea is that as we grow, let's say we bring this to Colombia or to um, Brazil, if they're using a particular platform, well, let's not reinvent the wheel, right? Let's work with what you've got going on so it becomes easier for the teachers. And I think this is why our program has been a bit more successful than a lot of the social and emotional learning programs out there. They're complicated. They're really complicated. Yes. And you know, at the end of the day, you're teaching children really complex concepts you have to break it down. <laughs> and if they don't get it, it's just not, it's not going to penetrate. And so 
we we really designed it in a way that it's all play-based it's really interactive and it's very simple yeah. and that's the the magic it's so where are you going to find the child that wants to sit down and be lectured Exactly right. You know, a lot of people ask me like, oh, but you teach diversity and inclusion, but you don't say it. And I'm like, well, I'm going to show up and be like, today we're going to teach inclusion. And and a six-year-old is going to be like, huh? (laughs) Instead, you, you know, you play perspective chair and you teach children to, you know, honor people's differences. Sure. So tell me, how has your life, your personal life evolved uh, five years later after the launch of this initiative? So uh, one, I'm a lot busier than I thought I would be. <laughs> I can imagine. And I travel more than I, I, I want to. Because I, I, last year, um, we got a lot of notoriety and a lot. we won a lot of awards, actually. We won about six awards. So I was flying everywhere. But, you know, the reward personally has been amazing because, um, you know, here I sought out to help a few kids or a few hundred. Or, but that's what I thought. And now it's reached hundreds of thousands of children. And I, I see the potential just growing, right? And so um, this is not just something that's going to, you know, help them out for a day or two. It's going to help them on their lifelong journey as they grow, as they learn, as they form relationships, whether in their personal lives or in their professional lives. And so um, it, it really fills my cup with a lot of love and joy. You're really impacting generations because uh, the positive seeds that you're planting with these children are going to have compounding results several generations out. No, definitely. And and, and the nice thing is, you know, we work with the child, but then it, it, they bring it home. And um, and so just seeing those effects, like we had one family that said, oh, you know, our, our kid made an emotions thermometer at home and now we have an emotions thermometer. And it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's cute and funny, but at right. the same time, now that family is going to be more aware of what's going on um, and that will affect their dynamic and how they interact with others. That reminds me of some of the work that was the foundation for family therapy. It actually originated at MIT. Uh, working with uh, with teams of engineers that they discovered that they were just basically one dysfunctional family. And so they started to teach them communication skills, interpersonal skills, and all the basic components of, of family. And so what happened was uh, they started implementing that not only in the teams at MIT, but also in their personal family lives. And of course, their their families improved. And that's the theory behind family therapy. That's how it got started. So same model, same principle is teach a person how to deal with their emotions and their mindset. And, uh, and then you begin to have uh, residual effects from some of the people that they interact with. That's fantastic. So, uh, so you obviously are building a legacy. Where do you see yourself in the next five or 10 years, uh, Danielle? So I think the, the model that we've created um, can really grow quickly. So actually speaking about MIT, um, last year we won the MIT Leap Solve Challenge. Wow. And they um, they gave us a lot of research that um, we worked with all these fantastic people around the world to, to build out a blueprint of how we were scaling such a, you know, an early ed tech adventure. And so what we, we did was sort of kind of uh, carve out the, the, the key enabling factors for adoption and growth, et cetera. So my hope is that now that we have this blueprint of sorts, we can bring this to other countries and say, hey, you know, 
this is how we've done it in a few other places and it's worked and it's been, and it's been very um, helpful to a lot of people, you know, whether it's our model or someone else's model, but this is sort of the direction that you need to go in. And here's a, a blueprint to follow. So um, assuming that, you know, this goes well, maybe in the next five or six years, we could expand to, you know, four or five, six countries, depending on which governments are a bit more eager to, to engage and, you know, what kind of support we can find on the ground. But, um, but I would love to see this grow, but also evolve, you know, as we learn from every iteration that we've had of the program, we've learned great things, you know, so the first version in 2020 was not as great as the version as 2022. And so really kind of investing in that research and development to make sure that we're still growing with the times and, and making it relevant and useful as, um, you know, to make sure that the skills that the kids are learning are something that's actually going to lead to meaningful employment. I want to digress. You're okay. a Latina. Yes. Talk to me about your roots. So my family, I have a very interesting uh, background. So my mother is Mexican and my father is Persian. And uh, I grew up in San Diego, California in a multilingual, multicultural home. So I'm also, hablo español perfectamente. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I, and San Diego, for those that haven't been to San Diego, it's like an extension of Mexico. It's really, uh, it, most people are Mexican there. And um, yeah, so I have a very um, fond, fond, uh, you know, Mexican side because my, my, my family still, my cousins, my grandmother, all of these people were still in Mexico. So I go back very often. And, um, but I'm also, I also grew up in the States. So I see that multicultural point and I know how difficult sometimes it is to, you know, get the upper hand or the advantages because, um, you know, at the end of the day, it, you're still a, in a different country. You're still a migrant in a different country. And so, um, but yes, I'm a Latina, very proud Latina, and I'm currently living in Greece, which makes it more complicated. <laughs> I can imagine. So what you're doing uh, takes a lot of passion and a lot of drive. Who or what were the factors that influenced you uh, in your life's journey uh, to where you are today? Oh, I have many, but I think uh, my mom, uh, for one, she's a huge humanitarian. She's incredibly active. She was always, you know, helping out in Rotary and local charities. And so um, I think I learned my humanitarianness from her. Um, but my grandfather was a businessman. So, you know, he was from Veracruz. He came to the States um, with pretty much nothing and uh, started selling cars, um, built many, many franchises later that then filled into uh, real estate and commercial development. So he was very much a visionary. You know, he used to um, he used to invest in things that was nothing. Like I remember he had one point he was looking to buy land and there were, my grandmother would say, oh, there was nothing. There were just rabbits. But he had a vision. And so I think I, I learned my, my business know-how and my vision from him. Um, and I think that was a nice combination with my mom's heart. Tell me, you built this program under the most dire circumstances with refugee camps. That's like the acid test of, of something that can be built from scratch and that can impact uh, children who are distressed and who are having their, their brain development literally interrupted, their natural stages of development are being interrupted. And, and I can pretty much tell you that you are doing a lot of reparation in their brain development by refocusing their emotions back to constructive paths for them to, uh, to retain that 
that natural development and to re-engineer their brain development uh, into the, well, we've been able to identify as five superpowers within positive intelligence, which you mentioned one of them is empathy, developing empathy for themselves, as well as others that, you know, ch- let's face it, children who have been through trauma become very uh, dissociated from their emotions. And, and so they end up growing very, very isolated, very siloed in, in society, because again, that stage of socialization was interrupted because their emotions were, their natural emotional development was interrupted. So I want to ask you, how have you seen the natural evolution of some of these children that were uh, the first uh, uh, protégés of, of this program? How are they evolving? How, what's been the response? Um, so positive. I, I'll share a story about a little boy, actually. Um, this one personally touched me significantly. So when uh, we were working in Turkey in a program, and um, so we had about, we had just trained teachers and I was staying there just to observe, to see how the, the, the classes were going. And I, I noticed there was one particular child that was pretty isolated. I mean, he, he wasn't engaging. He was sort of in the corner of the class and, um, and he was little, he probably was about five. Um, and so I'm like, something's clearly off. And I watched for, you know, the day and he just kind of did his thing. And so then the next day I thought, well, let me, let me see if I can kind of motivate him to, to engage a bit more. He needed a little added support. And so I kind of approached him and I, I don't speak, um, he spoke Arabic. Um, I don't speak Arabic and, um, he probably spoke Turkish at that point too, but neither, none, no languages that we had in common. And so I sort of mimed, you know, to follow me and, and to, to watch me. And so he did. And, um, and then a couple moments later or later on, he, he must've felt quite safe. He, he, you know, tagged, he pulled on my, uh, on my shirt and like signaled me to sit down. And so I did, and he pulled up his pant legs and I was not prepared to see what I was about to see. His, his legs were brutalized. I mean, brutalized. I don't, I don't know what that poor child had been through. Um, but it, it, whether it was like scarring, torture, um, you know, residues of third degree burns, I, I, I knew he was trying to show me like to, to, to feel safe and feel. And so, um, my instinct was just to put my hands on his, on his legs. And we just sat there for, you know, a few moments, although it felt like a very long time. And we looked at each other and I just kind of held his legs. And once he felt comfortable, he pulled down his pant legs and he picked up, he stood up and he went and started playing with the kids, which I had not, uh, I was not expecting that. And so a few moments, a few days later, cause I stayed there the, the rest of the week, um, he was so engaged. He was playing all these activities. He was smiling. He was happy. Um, you know, and, and of course I keep in touch with the organization that we worked with. And so I, I often ask, you know, whatever happened to that little boy? Um, and, and so what happened in those moments? I'm not sure. Um, but I think there was something there about feeling supported and seen. And then that gave him that confidence to engage with the classes. And then that in turn built up further on his worth, his, you know, his ability to communicate, to, to engage with these other children, his peers, and so to connect with them. And so um, from what I've heard, he's doing quite well. um, And he's been thriving and he has friends. 
And, and, and that's beautiful. And so you can't really see the full effects of what we've planted because we get the kids for, you know, a semester, 18 weeks at a time. And, um, and some of them will move on. So a lot of the kids that we worked with in Greece are no longer here. They've gone to Germany or the UK. We don't, we don't really know, but the ones that we do know, um, we see just the, the benefits continuing to grow over time. So I'll give you my take on what actually happened based upon a study that was done uh, here at one of the uh, Texas universities. Uh, researchers were wanting to find out what is the root cause of, of healing in psychotherapy. And what they discovered was it wasn't so much the therapist was highly skilled, although that helps. It was the fact that there was a space of safety and a witnessing to the trauma, a witnessing to the abuse. So you provided that space and you were an eyewitness to what the little boy showed you. And that human touch, that human bond uh, started the healing process for him. And that's just so touching to, uh, to hear stories such as that. And I'm sure that over the years, you're going to have a whole catalog. Uh, and I see a documentary being done on your work in the future <laughs> and, and all kinds of positive things. And it, it's truly an honor to have you as a guest uh, and to be able to amplify your voice uh, worldwide because we're listening in nine countries. So the big question now is uh, when do you plan to bring into the States? Because while I understand that the primary focus and need is in, in war-torn countries or countries where there are refugee camps, you know, America is, is in crisis with a lot of uh, refugees that are coming from right here in Houston. Uh, we are the epicenter of a lot of uh, uh, refugees that are coming from other parts of the world. And I have actually written stories of some of these nonprofits that they're working with some of these refugees. And the theorists uh, project that as Houston goes, so goes the country, because uh, Houston is the number one melting pot in the country. And so when do you plan to bring it to the States? So I think this goes back to your earlier comment. Um, you know, it takes a, a world of support to get something off the ground in a new location. Um, so we've created all of our content in English, and it's pretty much ready to go. It's really finding those doors that are open. So whether it be a district that's willing to try it or um, an organization on the ground that maybe has access to children and wants to add something else into their portfolio that might work. Um, so really, I mean, if anyone's out there listening that wants to bring it somewhere near you to your community, um, we're open to those introductions to see, you know, how we can find those partnerships and bring it to new locations. Because I, I agree with you, the U.S. is in crisis. I think it's um, it's a really timely moment. I think we have so much gun, gun violence, you know, suicide is going up. And these are preventative mechanisms that can work. But since each state is so siloed, you really have to start in one location and then go to another because, um, you know, they're, they're not as in connected as in other places where you kind of work with the Ministry of Education and it reaches the whole country. Correct. And, and I take it that there's no uh, cost involved for school districts? You make this uh, free? So there, there is a bit of a cost, okay. um, especially with the use of technology. Um, but most schools have a, some budget for it. Yes. And it's really not, it's really not a, an expensive cost. 
Um, which is also why we're trying to lower the technology cost, because if there's already something sure. that's in use, it's then just a matter of training the teachers. Um, but there is a little bit of a cost. And I think that just goes back to first having the will that they want to try it and pilot it. Um, and then, and then of course, you know, finding a way that makes it work. We're not trying to monetize this. It's, it's really just to covering the, the cost. Yeah. Sure. Exactly. Sure. And you're not even covering the cost. You're subsidizing some of the cost. Exactly. Because I'm sure that you uh, you function as a result of uh, grants that you receive from uh, from donors as well as uh, governments and agencies. Exactly. All right. Uh, well, this has been very exciting, Danielle. Uh, we do have lots of listeners. Uh, uh, something like sixty percent of our of our listeners are women, and I'm sure there's teachers out there, and there are uh, women of power and influence that can uh, follow your, uh, we're going to have all your information in the show notes. If people want to uh, get involved in, and uh, lend their support for your endeavors, uh, we'll have all your information in the show notes. Any final words, Danielle? No, I, I just want to say thank you so much. And, um, and also, if anyone wants to follow the work, we have a dedicated page for the program. It's colorsofkindness.org. Um, but if you want to follow also the organization's work, it's amalalliance.org, A-M-A-L Alliance. Um, and it's been just an honor to be here. And, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm really happy that you are putting an outlet for Latinos who thrive so that um, we can all learn and share together. Absolutely. Well, that's going to do it uh, for today, my friends. Until next week, go out and thrive. Mm-hmm.